Hi guys. Um, as I said, my name's Tom. Um, so I, my talk's about fear. So I'm going to share a bit how, about how fear's kind of affected me personally. Um, and hopefully you guys can take something away from kind of my journey as well. So over the last couple of years, and particularly in the last year, um, I've struggled with anxiety. That's been my personal struggle. Um, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. But to kind of summarise, um, my anxiety has been a battle, firstly with fear, um, so fear in different situations and different parts of my life. So I'm sure that when I say the word fear, everyone's got a different image in their head of what that means to them. For some of us it might be this. Or it might be this. Or it might be this. So I think it's fair to say that all of us have our own fears and things that trouble us. Um, so fear is a normal thing that we all struggle with. Um, but one of the things that I particularly found fear did with me was it, um, it took away kind of my sense of control over my life and it made me feel like um, I was focusing inwards, which is a natural reaction because when we're fearful, we want to try and protect ourselves. Um, obviously, not everyone struggles with anxiety. But I think we all struggle with fear in some way or some situations. Um, and I think it makes us slaves to our bodies, and that's where, that's where I felt when I was struggling with anxiety. Um, so I'm just going to read the verse, which is Romans 8, verse 14, which you can follow in the Bible's on the table if you want to. Um, the spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So, at this point, I think some people might be expecting me to say, yeah, fear is awful, we all struggle with fear, surely uh, God is the best, and if we just say, okay, please take away my fear, then that will happen, you know, it's, it's a battle that we can win, and we do win. Um, so, I think it might look something like this. <laughs> well, not exactly. Now, I'm sure there's people out there that God does that for, but my experience has been a bit different from that. Um, so one of my um, problems with the anxiety was thinking that because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have any anxiety, because surely if God loves me, then that means that I won't be struggling with fear. Um, I think sometimes we have this idea in our heads that um, because we're Christians and because we sort of we follow God, we make out a sort of deal with God where we say, okay, if I don't struggle with anything too big, then you won't give me anything too big um, to deal with. Um, I think a lot of us think we're fine until something bad comes along, and then we ask God, why did you do that? I'm following you, what's going on? So my personality and the way I deal with things is when I have a problem, like a cold or something, I just want to get out of the way and go away. So when I was struggling with anxiety, I prayed a couple of times, just like, God, just take this thing away from me, I've had enough of it. And also, um, okay, God, I've learned whatever lesson you're trying to teach me through this anxiety, I'm done with it, okay, let's just leave it. Um, but what did God do with me? He was there with me, and I felt his presence. But I, I felt like he never came in and did what's on the screen, uh, like zap, and took my anxiety away. Um, it certainly wasn't fixed up in a nice, tidy deadline um, and, you know, just in time for a church testimony on Sunday or anything like that. Um, so I just want to read the verse again. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Sometimes having fear is really hard, um, and I don't believe that God always clears it up straight away. Um, he may not clear it up in a day, a week, or a month. So I'm not just talking to people who've struggled with something similar to me. Everyone's got their own fear or pain or whatever that's held them back for ages and still comes back every now and then. Um, sometimes the thing may frustrate us or depress us because it hurts and we feel, maybe we feel like we should be better than that by now, but maybe we feel like God should just come in and take it away. So my take home message is this. Not really. Um, my real take home message is to keep going. It's a simple kind of message. So I don't want to minimise anyone's pain or fear, and I certainly can't minimise mine, um, because it does hurt, and God knows that it hurts. But my problems with anxiety didn't go away because I wished or prayed for them to go away. We all have things that hold us back from God, but I think that God's waiting for us to get to the stage where we can take them off and give them to Him. It's not a sort of, God just takes them off you automatically. You know, we all have troubles and we all have difficulties. So there's a metaphor by C.S. Lewis that I'm going to nick for this talk, where he says that we treat God like a plumber. Um, so if we're, if we're the house, God's the plumber, we may have like a broken fireplace or something. So we call God and we say, can you come around and fix my fireplace? And he says, yeah, go on. Um, and he comes, comes around and uh, tries to fix our little thing. And by little thing, I mean like our fear or our minor sin, something that we're aware of. And we're like, okay, God, come and deal with this. But once God gets into our lives, he starts knocking through walls, metaphorically, um, and installing extensions and stuff like that. And we get annoyed because all we wanted was a fixed house. We just want to get rid of our minor sin, our minor fear, uh, and we're okay with what we are. But God's motivation is different from our motivation. He sees... Um, the amazing mansion that we're going to become uh, in the future. He's got a picture in his mind of that mansion. So, um, we might end up in a place, there's some building work going on in our house. Maybe it's a place that we didn't want to be. Maybe it gets a bit messy. Maybe our house looks like a building site for a while. But God wants to free us from being slaves and make us into sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom. And God loves us. That's the kind of end point of it. So, personally, I feel like I have a much stronger faith because of what I've gone through, despite hating it and it being hard at the time. So I feel like um, one of the major lessons that I've learned was um, the idea that being a Christian means that everything's going to be easy all the time. So make no mistake, it will get hard at points. You don't need me to tell you that. I'm sure you all have your own things that you find difficult. But I want to encourage you that there's light at the end of the tunnel and to have faith in God. Um, I hope that you can get to the point that you can say to God, fair enough, um, I'm going to give you my life, not just when it's easy or convenient for me, or when, I'm, when the sun's shining and everything's fine, but all of the time, even when it's difficult, even when we're angry at God, we can still say, okay God, I can trust you enough to give you my life at this point. Now I'm not saying by this I'm 100% there yet, but um, I know that's part of the path I'm on, uh, and I hope that... This has helped. Thanks. Okay, so this is what I'd like to talk to you about today. As I said, <clears throat> we've been in G2 for about eight years or so and married with 
two children who are in youth and delighted that they don't have to sit through my talk today, otherwise I'd be dying of embarrassment. <laughs> um, I'm a child protection lawyer, so I work in a, in a difficult field where we have to weigh uh, difficult issues about risks. Gone. No, there we go. About risks to children, uh, weighing rights and responsibilities of parents and the state, and making difficult decisions all the time. So I thought I'd give you an example um, of a difficult case. I don't know how many of you recognise uh, these characters. Um, it's Anna and Elsa from Frozen. I'm afraid I'm going to give you a slightly twisted perspective on Disney's princesses. Um, I won't start on Cinderella. She's a shocker. <laughs> so, this is a story, I presume most of you have seen Frozen, but this is a story of two children. Um, the little girl on the left is Elsa, and uh, she hurts her younger sister Anna, um, nearly kills her, and there's a significant risk she'll do it again. Uh, so the questions in my field that we'd be asking is, did the parents protect the child? Did they protect Anna from her sister? Uh, did the parents protect Elsa? Did they, they knew that she could potentially harm Anna, did they protect her so that she didn't do it? They chose in this story to separate the children. In so doing, they present, prevented any further physical harm, but what about the emotional harm? What support was given to Elsa to stop her doing it again, and what support was given to Anna? Now, all these issues are weighed and, and balanced um, in the field that I work in, and all the rights under the European Convention of Human Rights and our English law. Okay, in Disney's story, there's a magic snowman, um, a rather gormless young man called Kristoff and his reindeer, um, and a happy ending. Unfortunately, that's not what we have in the family courts. So I'd just like to look at a passage that comes from the Lawyers Christian Fellowship motto, uh, and it's from an Old Testament prophet. Um, and I'd just like to think about this passage, not just in the big things like decisions about what should happen to children, but in the everyday things of life and how we can apply this passage to those. So the passage is Micah 6, verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, acting justly. What does it look like? Are you fair in your dealings with other people? We had a situation where... Um, some builders were putting in a kitchen for us and uh, they asked us to pay them in cash um, which would have meant they weren't paying the taxes. What do you do in situations like that? Are we truthful? Are we honest? Do we give credit where credit's due or do we take other people's um, uh, things that they've done and claim them for ourselves? Do we say, I was wrong? My father at uh, my husband's and I's wedding suggested that we said that on a daily basis. So, so do, we, do we act justly in the situations we find ourselves in? Secondly, do we love mercy? It says love mercy, it doesn't say like it a little bit. Um, showing kindness and compassion can be loving mercy. Um, we were on the bus the other day and my daughter was incredibly upset. Uh, and a lady who we don't know, who we'd never met before, noticed how upset she was, dug in her bag and found a popping candy chocolate freddo, which she passed over. And it was just complete kindness and compassion that put a smile on my daughter's face when one definitely hadn't been there. Another um, aspect of mercy is how you use your power, uh, the definitional 
will come up now. So refraining from inflicting punishment or pain on somebody who is in your power. So how do you use power? Are you, how do you deal with people who are subordinate to you, who are your employees, who are working for you? How do you deal with those who hurt you? How do you show mercy? And then finally, walking humbly with your God. I like that picture of humility, because humility gets a bad press. Um, humility can often be seen as being a doormat. Move on to the next one. This was a quote from C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I thought that was a good perspective to take on it. So, moving on then, walking is an action. It's not passive, so we walk humbly with our goal. We have to actively choose to do it. We've talked about humility and what humility is and what it isn't. And then we're walking with our God, so we're not on our own. Um, God helps us and walks with us. You might want to think about how you can do that on a daily basis. Um, and one of the ways is, is by service, service to others, showing you care, loving other people, noticing the unnoticeable. You know, when's the last time that you asked a colleague how their day was and offered them a cup of tea or the cleaner or your boss? Sometimes we have to also be prepared to listen to their answer, which can take longer than we think. So the challenges are, first of all, for me, the challenge when I hear talks like this is remembering what I've been told. And uh, in a minute, I've, I've got a way of su to suggest that you do that. The second thing is sometimes fear, because there can be a cost to doing these things. Um, there was a financial cost when we had to pay the extra on the kitchen that we uh, had fitted, and we had to pay the tax. Um, and we didn't get the money back through some magic of us honouring God and him honouring us. It doesn't work like that. There's often an emotional cost, as I said, with the work I do. There, there are very difficult situations, and everybody in that situation are in pain, they're suffering. There are no winners, but sometimes very hard decisions have to be taken. Um, and it can be difficult to, to weigh and balance those things. And it's fearful taking those decisions. And often we feel confused. We're not sure what to do. How do we take that step? How do we weigh those things? And all I can encourage you to do is to pray for wisdom in those situations. Keep reading your Bibles for guidance. Talk to reliable support networks and work through the principles. And perhaps those principles of seeking justice, loving mercy and walking humbly with your God will give you a framework and a structure to your decision making. So finally then, set your challenge on your desk, on your table, sorry, you've got post-it notes, hopefully there are some left over. And what I'd encourage you to do is to write down the passage about acting justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with your God, or set a reminder on your phone. And when you are reminded, if you pull the piece of paper out of a bag or your phone sends you that reminder, just think about what you're doing at that moment and challenge yourself. Am I acting justly? Am I loving mercy? Am I walking humbly with my God? Thank you. What I want to share with you today is an idea, a, a challenge that I really feel God's been speaking to me over the past few years of my life. Um, it's impacted my perspective, my choices from what I've chosen as a degree, the, the way I interact with friends, make new friends, um, and basically the essence of that is what I want to just chat with you about today. 
In John's Gospel, chapter 17, we read Jesus' prayer for us as he approaches the end of his time here on earth with us, and I'd like to pick out a few verses to focus, focus on today. I'm not taking you out of... I'm, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. There are many verses I could have chosen to share with you what's on my heart today. It's a message we can find reoccurring throughout the Bible time and again. And if reading the Bible has taught me anything, it's that God tends to repeat the messages that he knows we need to be reminded of. This verse stood out to me as best capturing the idea that we're a people with a mission here on earth, but that our identity, our worth, is not of this world, but comes from our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to constantly remind ourselves of this distinction, this separation, if you like, in order to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and still remember our purpose in this hectic world. It's probably one of the biggest challenges that we as Christians face today in the modern world. How to engage with the world, the culture around us, the people, but not be changed or overcome by it. In the past for me, it's meant uh, struggling with why my parents for a while temporarily split up, um, recognising how that experience helps me relate to the struggle and the bitterness so many people in my generation go through. Realising that with time and prayer, um, although the world throws stuff at us that can seem so hard to handle, God uses it and has overcome it. For me, currently, this means engaging with politics, with the debates, pondering all the ethical stuff and trying to decipher God's will for me in the midst of that, where he wants to put me. For many here, the challenge could be being relevant in an ever-changing, diverse student culture. For others, it's handling those tough conversations at work when the Christian culture and the world's culture seem to clash entirely. The challenge is not to shut that out, but to ask God how he wants to use us in that. This challenge requires us to stay rooted in Christ whilst remembering our purpose here on earth as disciples and signposts pointing to God. When Paul writes to the Romans, we see him telling them not to copy the behaviour or customs of the world, but to let God transform them into new people by changing the way they think, to strive to see the world through God's eyes and let this fully impact the way that, that we live our lives here and now. When Jesus prays um, in this prayer in John's Gospel um, to keep us safe from the evil one, it's such a relevant reminder that the world is full of challenges and distractions that can take our eyes off God, make us plant our identity in false labels, to get our worth from achievements, possessions, reputations. These labels can be being a high achiever throughout school or university, perhaps being a good parent, the reputation with your friends, the material evidence of success as a businesswoman or man, but these are not what we should root our identity and worth, <coughs> excuse me, and worth in. Remembering that whatever we face, good or bad, our identity is 
invested in our relationship with God. Our worth comes from what he's already spoken over us in the Bible. We're his treasured possessions. He rejoices over us, provides for us, and lovingly pursues us. So, how on earth do we balance those two? In verse 17, Jesus prayed, Make them holy by your truth. The Bible gives us Jesus' perfect example of living in the world, subject to its troubles, temptations, its hurts and persecutions, and yet living a life set apart, entirely sold out for our Heavenly Father. The challenge is to be in touch with the world, the people around us, but ultimately stay in time with God's heartbeat, with his vision for the world that is to come. The Holy Spirit sets us apart from the world around us, but Jesus calls us to still engage with it, to see his kingdom come and point Jesus to him, constantly drawing near, nearer to God in the challenges and the joys, as it's him where we find our strength. It's in him where we find our worth and our true identity, but allowing this to overflow and impact our attitude and actions towards the culture around us every day. Thank you. Okay, so today I want to speak to you about John 3.16, which says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now this is probably one of the most well-known Bible verses, and I'm sure many people in here will know it by heart. And although this is really great because it shows the passion that people have for this verse, I think when we get to this point we can enter a dangerous zone because we're at risk of it losing its meaning and its power. And it is such a powerful verse, not just for the people who already know Christ, but for the people who don't yet because they might not be quite so familiar with this concept of God's amazing love. And this concept of his love is really what Christianity is all about and it's something that we need to make sure is known to everyone. Now recently there's been quite a lot of controversy with something that this man said, Stephen Fry. In an interview, he was asked, what would you say to God if you met him? And among many of other things, one of his responses was this, why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God? Well, the answer is you shouldn't. No one should, and we don't. And I think it's quite scary that there are still people that think that this is what God's like, and that they don't know the concept of his love. We respect a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. Now this is a far cry from what Stephen Fry describes as monstrous. But I think that this idea of sin is perhaps what sometimes stops us from sharing the concept of love. We don't feel worthy of God's love, um, and so we feel like unless we're perfect and living a life without sin, then how can we bring others to God? But the thing is that we don't have to be sinless. We just have to be willing. There's a great quote that I love from the lead singer of a Christian band called The Afters. And he says this, We're often so busy building up our own kingdoms that we forget what's really important, building up God's kingdom. And in order for us to build up God's kingdom, we have to share this message of his great love. Now on the 16th of March in 2013, a guy from America decided that this Bible verse, John 3.16, was something that needed to be shared across the masses. And so he created John 3.16 Day, which is basically just where we fill social media with this verse. So that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything we like. 
So I just want everyone to take their phones out now and take a moment to put a reminder in for this day, for the 16th of March, and just spread this verse so that everyone knows that the character of God is not, as Stephen Fry has described, capricious or mean-minded, but that he's a God of sacrifice and a God of love. So as I finish today, I just want everyone to reflect on how God can use you this week, this month, this year, to share his nature and his love. Thank you.